we're going to pretty much look at that uh, concept, really, at understanding this kind of strange title, Lamb of God. And um, the scripture that I have for that is in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, uh, verses 29 through, through 42. Verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, or look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour, four in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him, Simon, and said, You are Simon, the son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Before I begin, let's, let's have a word of prayer together. Jesus, praise you for who you are, for your mercy that covers our sins, that washes us clean, that grants us your amazing gift of faith in which we stand. All other ground, Lord, is truly sinking sand. We've, we've experienced it uh, through many ways, um, trying different things, different beliefs of the world, and it's just sinking sand. Be our foundation. Speak to our hearts. May the words that come from me be right from your spirit to communicate Jesus's truth, life, and way, and let it go forth this day as we live for you and your grace, now and forever. Amen. A couple scripture, before I get started, a couple, a couple scripture passages, I was hoping that 
the student body here um, wouldn't mind reading. Could I get a couple volunteers, uh, a man and a, okay, fantastic. Uh, could you read, I'll get to you, I'll point to you, Isaiah 53, 4 through 7. That'd be great. And then um, a guy here, right on. How about 1 Peter 2, 4 through 9? I'll, like I said, I'll give you the cue. Hopefully I'll, I'll remember that. Um, but thank you so much. Look, what is that? Oh, you guys didn't fall for it. This last Sunday I did, I did that, and man, I had all, the congregation was all looking. It was fun. Look, two bald eagles in that tree. Look, you, missed, you misunderstood me. What I was trying to say was, the milk is in the fridge right in front of your face. Look closely. Guys, are we guilty of that? That's been said to me one way too many times. As a parent, you're probably familiar with the game I Spy. Any, how about teachers or, yeah, family members? You choose a particular item in your house without your kids seeing it. And you say, I spy with my naked eye. Fill in the blank and your kiddos look for that item and say, is it this? Is it that? We play it at our house. It's a great time. Let's face it. We look every day, don't we? Whether it's looking for groceries at town and country Looking for deer or elk to hunt? Any hunters here? Okay. Looking for a good fishing hole to hook a beautiful rainbow? Any fishermen here? Fisherwomen? Great. Looking for a different route to take because of the, of the delay on 19th? Looking for a dentist or doctor to help with your medical needs? Looking at the, beautiful, at the beauty of a waterfall? Looking to coaches, parents, teachers, or friends for instruction? Regardless of the need, we look. Now, sure, we look, but are we looking in the right direction? During the 1984 Olympic Games in Los Angeles, the American Greg Foster was chosen as the favorite to win the 110-meter hurdles. Do we have any hurdlers here? Anyone does hurdles? Okay, good. I, it's an amazing event, and I would never be able to do that, but... When the gun went off and the runners charged towards the hurdles, Foster got off to an impressive lead. But just as he jumped over the last hurdle, he made the critical error and turned his head ever so slightly to look where everyone else was. Looking back cost him only, sec only hundredths of a second, but it was enough to lose the race. Folks, from our scripture lesson in the New Testament, John the Baptist's message to his fellow countrymen was an intriguing message about looking carefully. From the ordinary Jewish family to the higher-up Jewish religious scholars of John's day, they were looking for the Messiah to come in many directions, having high, high expectations for him. Now, while we may not use the title Messiah very much in our language today, it was a huge deal to the Jewish community. And to help us perhaps feel the gravity of this title, it would be like me saying president or prime minister, governor, senator, general, or commander. 
a person selected in a higher office to lead people. Well, starting in the Old Testament, whenever a person was chosen for the office of priest or or king, for example, they were respected by the Jewish people as a type of Messiah, someone God selected to lead his people. However, though the priest and king were certainly respected leadership positions, those selected were not regarded as the Messiah, the anointed one of God, which should cause us to ask, what high expectations were the Jewish people looking for in this coming Messiah? Well, they were expecting God's anointed one to be a tall, valiant, strong, well-spoken, politically favored military warrior. In other words, I picture a King David or Solomon on steroids who will finally conquer the corrupt Romans. Enough heavy taxation, enough barbaric killings, enough paganism. Their Messiah was going to eliminate their enemies and restore a kingdom that would finally take control of everything. Hey, doesn't it sound good to have a Messiah like that? You know, even John the Baptist, the voice in the wilderness, the New Testament prophet of the Christ, asked his disciples to convey this question to Jesus. Are you the one or should we look for someone else? Good question. Is this Jesus, God's anointed one? If so, what title makes him unique as the Messiah? You know, John uses a strange name to describe Jesus' uniqueness. Did you catch it in verse 29? It's a title that confused the Jewish people. And perhaps it's a title that confuses us too. But through his spirit we can have complete confidence that his title in verse 29 portrays the uniqueness in God's anointed one who came to defeat our greatest enemy, sin, death, and the devil. And that this Christ will in fact restore an abundant kingdom that has no end. As as Glenn read to us in Revelation. To illustrate Jesus' title and purpose in verse 29, I want to share a story with you about a missionary and and his experience that I think relates with the message that John the Baptist was trying to communicate to the crowd in chapter 1. Joseph Damien was a 19th century missionary who ministered to people with leprosy on the island of Molokai, Hawaii. Those suffering grew to love him and revered the sacrificial life he lived out before them. One morning before Damien was to lead daily worship, he was pouring some hot water in a cup when the water swirled out and fell onto his bare foot. It took him a moment to realize that he had no sensation in that foot. Gripped by the sudden fear of what this could mean, he poured more water on the same spot. No feeling whatsoever. Damien immediately knew what had happened. As he walked tearfully to deliver his sermon, no one at first noticed the difference in his opening line. He normally began every sermon with, my fellow believers. But this morning, he began with, my fellow lepers. 
Folks, in the same way, in verse 29, John the Baptist announces Jesus' title, explaining that this long-awaited Messiah would leave his glorious kingdom in heaven. Can you even imagine? And that he put on lowly human flesh. He became one of us. And so much worse, he took on my, our sin, God's judgment and death. As John professed in verse 29, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm getting goosebumps already. It's, it's incredible. But wait a minute. Wait. What did John just say? Does the title sacrificial lamb pose as an intimidating title for a coming Messiah or king? If you were an army general, would you want to be known as the sacrificial lamb? How about a sports team? Would you want your mascot to be the sacrificial lambs? I, I know Scott Morningstar is not here, but if he was a, I know he's a Cowboys fan. In that case, they're sacrificial lambs. That's fine. No, you'd be laughed off the field or court, right? John's statement did not fit the image of the Messiah that they were looking for to overthrow the Romans. The sacrificial lamb image doesn't appear victorious. It appears weak, doesn't it? I want to take a minute to explain that sacrificial lambs were certainly not strange to the Jewish people. They used them all the time. Specifically, that's what the Feast of Passover was all about. Beginning in Exodus, the blood of the lamb was the marking of their deliverance and slavery and death in Egypt. They ate the meat from the lambs. They continued to celebrate Passover while journeying in the desert where, where lambs were sacrificed and the sacred meal was shared. The ancient tradition of Passover or having a Seder meal, have any of you done that? It's, yeah, it's, it's an amazing experience and it's still in practice today. But what the Jewish community couldn't understand, what they couldn't imagine, was that God's chosen one, prophesied in the Old Testament, fulfilled in Jesus Christ, left his eternal kingdom in heaven. He took on human flesh. He was the lowly, obedient bondservant, Paul says in Philippians 2. And he, the Lamb of God, died a criminal's death on a criminal's cross. Folks, that was insane. Even Jesus' disciples wrestled with this. For example, through God's Spirit, Peter confesses Jesus as the Messiah, right? The Christ. But moments later, after confessing Jesus as the Christ in his fallen humanity, and I would have done the same thing if I was in Peter's situation. Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes him for telling them, telling them that the disciples telling his disciples that he came to be basically the sacrificial lamb. As Peter says, Lord, this will never happen to you. To Peter, they couldn't imagine their Messiah dying. But folks, you see, in order to save them, to rescue them, to rescue us from our greatest enemy of sin, death, and the devil, God had to send God the Son, Jesus, to die, taking our place just as his word says. From Isaiah 53, can you read that text for us? Starting in verse 3, I think. I got 4 I gave you. Go ahead.
laid on him the iniquity of us all. Okay. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Oh, man. Folks, God's anointed one, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you, did you hear that amazing promise? Only in him, the Lamb of God, can we be made right in God's eyes. In other words, being made right in God's eyes cannot be achieved by my works, my knowledge, my practice of religious traditions alone, hoping somehow my good works will outweigh my bad ones. How would I ever know that? It's impossible. It's impossible. And blindly, that's the model the Pharisees followed. The Pharisees, think about this. The Pharisees were experts in memorizing scripture. They were brilliant, but they were also arrogant and cold-hearted towards the gospel. And they thumbed their noses at anyone who didn't live like they did. Strangely, not even the Pharisees could keep their many religious rules and traditions perfectly. And unfortunately for many of them, their strict religious rules and so forth became their Messiah, a man-made Savior who would deliver them from their enemies. But Jesus always speaks the truth. He is the way, truth, and life. Speaking the truth, Jesus says that the only way to live, the only way to be made right in God's eyes is to look, to enter through the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In John 10, verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. You know, it's, it's easy for me. It's easy for us to criticize the Pharisees for their religious hypocrisy. I'm first in line to criticize them. But we can fall into the same deceitful trap, can't we? Selfishly, we can look for a savior of our making who will accommodate our social and political views. But Jesus never fits into the man-made boxes that we create for him. We will experience nothing but emptiness and disappointment when we live for a Messiah, when we live for a Messiah of our or the world's making. However, to look, to enter through the Lamb of God who takes away our sins, to be filled with his, his grace and faith, we are made right because we are in him, the Lamb of God, and we are given his name Christian. Think about that, Christian. Your parents gave you a name more than, more than likely coming from family roots. Young comes, is German. It's a, a long lineage of uh, German roots. But your heavenly name, Christian, is God's gift of faith through the Lamb of God, rooted in this Messiah and this Messiah only. So what should our lives look like as Christians, as followers who bear the name of Christ? Well, the last part in our text gives us a clue. Andrew introduces his brother Simon to the Messiah. Jesus looks at Simon and gives him a name that will reflect what a Christian life looks like. First uh, Peter 2, who has that? Thank you, sir. Go for it. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by 
by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and doomed they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Okay, excellent. Good reading. Thank you. Specifically, Jesus changes, name to, Jesus changes Simon's name to Cephas, or Peter, meaning rock or stone. Now, this doesn't mean that Peter is the rock or the cornerstone of the one true faith, because that's who Jesus is. He's the rock of ages, right? The cornerstone of his spiritual body, the church, made up of Christians, brothers and sisters, living as living stones, built up, I love this, as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Montana Bible College. Wow, this is a second home for me. It is for Ryan. Ryan, it's good to see you here and to see where God's called you, Glenn, others. This, this was honest. I can tell you this uh, honestly, and this isn't uh, to puff you guys up. This is just the truth. I love my seminary years. They were great. But this, is, this felt like a home. Coming back here felt like a home. And, bec- and the reason it does is because of, again, every class, everything you guys do is built on the discipleship upon this rock Jesus, through, looking at it through the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. And whether you are called to serve Christ in pastoral ministry, who who's, uh, feels called to, be, to serve in pastoral ministry? Okay, fantastic, fantastic. Uh, children's ministry. Excellent, excellent. Youth ministry. God bless you. That's awesome. <laughs> Men's, women's ministries. Okay, counseling. Counseling. Great. Missions. I saw, I met some folks. Excellent. College campus ministry. How about chaplaincy work or chaplaincy work? Okay. How about this? Are you here for just one, are you, not just, are you here for a year to prepare maybe for the business world, labor world, engineering, so forth, or some other? Okay, fantastic, fantastic. Regardless of what you all are called to do, we look to the only Messiah. Never forget this, because the recipe for burnout is when I am not on standing on Christ as the foundation or when I am not looking to the Lamb of God. But everything that we do that you're called to do, that you're learning here and the word Christ is calling you now and in the future is to look to the Messiah Jesus, this only Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away our sins. So folks, eat up what you're, what you're learning here. Uh, through the, again, the, the thank you for the worship music today. This was excellent, and the, the words were fantastic. Let it fill you up. Boy, it filled me up. I needed it. Needed to hear those words of being, again, centered on the Lamb of God, looking through the Lamb of God, and to serve Him. 
not as Andrew, but as Christian, right? Never be ashamed of the title Christian that Christ gave you through him, through his merciful blood, and through standing on him. We do that now and forever. Can you think of a kingdom that's forever? I can't. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for these students, your chosen sons and daughters through faith, rising them up, calling them to be instruments of your holy house that is with us now and forever. Lord, help us never to forget, help us never to fall into the temptation of thinking that we can somehow do this without you. It's impossible. Any product of our making, of the world's making, is falls short into nothing. Help us always to be remember, remembered to stand on you, the foundation, the cornerstone of the church that is with us now and forever. I pray for these students that as they're learning uh, the scriptures and languages and history and practical ministry and counseling and missions, that it would, be, it would go beyond the books. It would go beyond knowledge. That knowledge is important, but essentially it's to build up as followers, disciples of Christ, standing on the one true Lamb of God who takes away our sins and using the gifts you've given us in whatever field you're calling us to, to edify you and to encourage one another, to spur one another on into faith and to works that honor you, Christ, now and forever. In your name we pray. Amen.